Well, let me ask you to uh, either take your worship folder or your Bible and turn to John chapter 18. Um, I want to pray, I want to preach on the the continuing impact of the incarnation of Christ. We've just come through Christmas and you might say, okay, well the incarnation and the thoughts of that really is past um, and something that we can leave behind. But I want to, uh, I hope, communicate to you that there is a whole lot to bring throughout the whole year uh, about the incarnation into our lives and into our ministry um, as well. So, Uh, I just want to read one verse, and this is a strange verse when it comes to the incarnation of Christ, and yet one that I believe uh, has a whole lot of hope and uh, blessing and encouragement uh, for us as we seek to minister in in His name. This is the word of the Lord from John chapter 18 and verse 37. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever and ever. I'm confident that over the course of the last few weeks that you have driven about uh, our city and have seen some very interesting uh, decorations. Have you not? Uh, I know that uh, a couple of times that uh, you drive by a yard, and a yard would have Santa and eight tiny reindeer, uh, but then the yard would also have a nativity scene, a manger and Mary and Joseph and shepherds. Um, my family and I, we, we got word through the grapevine of this great uh, house over off Anderson Mill Road, and you would drive up, and there was a sign there that you would tune your radio to 93.1. They were broadcasting music from the yard, and the lights were uh, operating according to the music. And if you had a, uh, a seizure disorder due to flashing lights, you would have had one. Um, It was incredible and wonderful, and we loved it. But those sorts of displays cause us to really ask questions about what Christmas uh, ultimately actually is all about, doesn't it? Um, Believe me, I love Santa. I love the lights. I love all of the accoutrements of, of Christmas. But when you see those together, it does make us ask the question, what is Christmas really all about? Um, Perhaps you've heard of the the Hayden Planetarium in New York City. And the planetarium there, of course, has all kinds of shows about the heavenly bodies. And during uh, December, they have one uh, that ends with not only the stars that, uh, that are around in December in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, but then they project a giant lollipop tree, and the horizon of the planetarium is, is filled with presents that ultimately come to life and begin to dance around to uh, the song of Jingle Bells. And then they, they will project Santa Claus who fades in out of a snowstorm and back out into a snowstorm. Uh, and then concluding with the actual 
sky, night sky of Palestine on uh, what they say would be the night that the Savior was born, complete with the star of Bethlehem projected. That would be some kind of show, wasn't it? Again, communicating to us a great question. What is the real meaning of Christmas? What is the real meaning, even better, of the Incarnation? And what impact is that to have on um, uh, our lives? Perhaps you've had the, the conversation with somebody about the real meaning of Christmas, or you probably heard it in the last 30 days about, uh, on talk radio, uh, this question of what is the real meaning of Christmas. And things begin to get a little heated. You ever had this? And then finally he says, well, let's not get uptight about it because what I really want to know is what Christmas means to you. You've heard this? Now this is a, a huge philosophical step to add these two words. What does Christmas mean to you? Because as soon as we add those two words, what do we do? We're saying that what Christmas actually means is really not all that important. What is important is what Christmas means to you. You and me. But the meaning of Christmas is really is important, isn't it? It's really important. It involves weighty stuff. <laughs> the things you've just been singing, the things you've just been confessing, the way that you have acted over the course of the last half hour have indicated that what Christmas is all about is of the most eternal substance. And we need to know what the meaning of the Incarnation actually is. Plus, there are a lot of challenges to uh, the meaning of Christmas in our world today, aren't there? I mean, we can look at the commercialism and the materialism and all these kinds of things, and we see that there are a lot of challenges to what the real aspect of the Incarnation is all about. And so it's important for us to know, to know what it means. And that brings us to John chapter 18 and verse 37. Because it's here that Jesus gives us not just help in grasping the meaning of Christmas, but strategic information to help us as we seek to minister throughout the year. And that's why I'm preaching this today. You may say, well, hey, we're not in December anymore. We're not before December the 25th. No, my focus is, is on the rest of the year and the rest of the year for you. So as we look at John chapter 18 and verse 37, there are three things that I want us to grasp as we look at this particular text. Three things that I think are helpful for us as we consider the meaning of Christmas, but also the impact of that meaning for the rest of the year. You with me? Three things. Now let's look at this um, together. As we look at the text, what we find, first of all, is that the purpose of Jesus' birth is not simply to say that He was born. It does say that He was born. But it also communicates to us that He was incarnated. And you may say, okay, well, what's the difference, being born and being incarnated? All of us were born. Uh, but before we were born, we didn't exist. And that's different about Jesus because before he was born, he did exist, which is exactly why he says here in the text that for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have, in a sense, also come into the world. 
You'll remember uh, back in the book of Daniel in chapter 7, the scripture reveals the Lord Jesus as the Ancient of Days. Do you remember that? And what's it saying but that this uh, second person of the Trinity for us is someone who has existed forever. It's an overwhelming truth to contemplate the fact that when Jesus took human flesh and he was born to Mary in Bethlehem, upon his conception that he had always existed beforehand. It's so overwhelming, it's almost frightening to consider the fact that he had existed forever and now was incarnated, was now, uh, had come into the world. But I want you to think about what a punch to the chest this is in the context of what we're just reading because we're reading it not in Luke chapter 1 or Luke chapter 2 or Matthew 1 or Matthew 2, but in John chapter 18. The context is is that Jesus is standing before Pilate. He's on trial for his life. And here he is, and he's dressed in regular workaday clothes. He's looking really pretty poor. He's been beaten. He's bound. He's charged with a capital crime. And here he is saying, in response to Pilate's question, for this purpose I've been born and for this purpose I've come into the world. In other words, he's saying, I may look like I, I, I had simply been born and I'm just like you, but I'm not. He is claiming eternal existence here uh, for the glory of God. You see, it's a deep paradox. And the irony that is the heart of the meaning of Christmas or the meaning of the Incarnation uh, is that Jesus left left an eternal existence and came to this temporal existence. He left the holy and came to the unholy. You see, uh, Christmas is not about us coming to that point where we're trying to to figure out the meaning of Christmas to me, which in a real sense is to elevate my opinion above all else, right? If I'm the one who determines the meaning of Christmas, in a real sense I'm saying, well, I'm determining all of life. In a real sense, I'm acting as God. And Christmas is not about us becoming God, determining the meaning for ourselves and what it means to me, but it's about God becoming a man. It's not about us becoming God, but God becoming man. And so Jesus is communicating this great truth uh, to us first of all. The purpose of Jesus' birth is not that He was simply born, but that He was actually incarnate. There's a second thing I want you to see from the passage, and it's this. That His birth is about revelation. It's about revealing something. The words of John chapter 14 and verse 9 ring in our ears When Jesus said, He who has seen the Father, I'm sorry, He who has seen me has seen the Father. When they have laid eyes on Jesus, that they they behold um, God. God, of course, dwelling in a trinity. As well, in John chapter 1 and verse 18, I want to read this to you. This is the end of the prologue of the book of John. And the very last sentence says, The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father has declared Him. 
He's just said, no one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son who's in the bosom of the Father has declared Him. Literally, the word there is, has exegeted Him, has explained Him, has made Him known. You see, Jesus came into the world. His purpose was that He was born into the world as a revelation. The text here says that I should bear witness to the truth. Jesus came to make God known to His people. Why? So that they could have an eternal relationship, eternal fellowship with the Father. But there's some huge implications of this. You say, well, that's, that's really a, a straightforward and fairly well-known piece of information about Christianity that, that Jesus came into the world in order to reveal the Father, but the implications are huge. Let me give you just a few implications. As Jesus is incarnate God, then what He did is He revealed truth, but He revealed it accurately. He revealed it fully, He revealed it accurately. And that's important in our day because many of our friends, and maybe some here today have said, well, I don't know that there really is a truth, a truth above all else. In other words, we live in a world where many people would say to us, well, I mean, that may be true to you, and that's fine, but that's not true to me. You know people like this? I certainly do. And yet what Jesus is saying, as He is before Pilate here, through the Holy Scripture is, is that I come to bear witness to the truth. So He reveals the truth fully and He reveals it accurately as well. There's another implication of this truth. And that is that He, he is the exclusive revelation of the Father. He's not only the one who reveals the Father accurately, but He reveals the Father exclusively. In John chapter 14, verse 6, we quote this all the time, right? I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Now think about this, because there would be many minds, many hearts that would be offended by this truth today. To say, okay, there is one way to God. No man comes to the Father but by me. Um, a highly offensive truth in the minds of many today. They would say, well, you believers, you know, I appreciate what you believe, but you're so exclusive. You're intolerant. And in our world today, there would be many who would say, wow, intolerance is the worst sin that could be committed. There's this call for all of us to be tolerant of everything and, and to see tolerance as the pinnacle of goodness. And being exclusive is something that's horrible. But here's Jesus putting this exclusivity right smack in the middle of Christmas. Jesus being the only one and the only one revealing the Father. Now, let me make a brief application of this. Now, interestingly, when we are trying to share the gospel with our friends, most of the time what we do is we soft-pedal the exclusivity of Jesus, right? We don't, in the middle of our sharing the gospel, say, oh, and by the way, I want to tell you that He is the only way, and there's no other way that you can be saved. We typically don't lead with that, right? And we typically don't do that because it is so inflammatory to many of our friends as we say that. 
But I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to communicate the exclusivity of Christ, not in order to inflame the passions of the person to whom you're seeking to witness, but because it's important. And it's important because of this. The only way that our friends and our families are going to see that they're not gods, remember they're the ones who said the meaning of Christmas to me is dot, 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 elevating their opinion uh, across the board. But the only way that they're going to see that they're not a God is to be reminded that there is only one God. And that Jesus alone is the one who reveals to us the Father. Jesus alone is the one who reveals to us the way to salvation. It's the only way that our non-Christian friends will be challenged to forsake themselves as a God and submit to the Lordship of Jesus. There's one other implication I want you to see. There's the implication of the fact that Jesus is the uh, true and accurate revelation of the Father. He's the only exclusive revelation of the Father. And then He comes and He reveals uh, the Father for a relational purpose. Now, when Jesus comes and He says here in this text that I have come to witness to the truth, he, He's not saying that He's coming to say, here's a whole list of information that I want you to know. He's not re- revealing information. He's revealing a person. And why does He reveal a person? Because He wants people to know that He's the one who, when He dies on Calvary, and He's going to die in just a matter of hours from this text. That when He dies, He is dying for people. If they will simply receive what He has done, His atonement, His his satisfying all that God required in the law, His satisfaction of all uh, that was necessary in order to bring the forgiveness of our sins, that in fact we could have a relationship with the Father. That He could bring us into relationship with the Father. Now this too is very significant in our world today. Because what's our world looking for but an intimate relationship? Think about what we sing about at Christmas time. Think about all of the songs that you hear on the radio that are about an intimate relationship. Baby, it's cold outside. What's that about? Hey, let's have an intimate relationship. And of course there's nothing wrong with that, but it belies the fact that we want that intimate relationship. And ultimately what our heart is crying out for is an intimate relationship with God. I don't need a lot for Christmas. All I want for Christmas is you. And Jesus reveals Himself for this relational purpose, saying that there is an intimate relationship to be had. And it comes through me. The story is told about a man who years ago gave his mom and dad a microwave. Uh, his, mi- his mom and dad never had a microwave, and he was going to bring them kicking and screaming into the microwave world. They were going to be able to, to nuke something. And they were pretty excited about it. And they take the, the microwave out of the box and uh, plug it up, and they hit the button to boil some water, and they can't make it work for anything. They pull out the directions, they still can't make it work. So in a couple of days, the, uh, the mom is playing bridge and she says to one of her friends yeah my son gave me this microwave and uh, I can't I can't make it work for anything and uh, she told her friend she said you know I don't need 
I don't need more instructions about the microwave. What I need is, is for, my, for my son to come along with a gift and tell me how to use it. But the same is true about the gift of eternal life as it comes from God. That He does give the gift of eternal life, but He does send somebody. He does send His Son in order to make it clear to us that we might in fact have that relationship. Now, I said that there were three things that we were going to see from this passage. And that is that Jesus was not merely born, but that He was incarnated. That He came as a revelation. And then thirdly, He came for a specific purpose according to John 18.37, and that is in order to save people. Uh, Look at the text. Because it says here, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Don't you want to share the gospel this year? Don't you want to tell somebody about Jesus? Don't you want your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers to come to saving faith in Christ and honestly to enjoy what you enjoy? The, the, the experience of grace. The experience of God's graciousness. Don't you want them to enjoy that? Of course you do. But we can be pretty discouraged about the prospect of people being saved through our ministry. If you're active in that, you've been turned down many times. You have many people say, well, that works for you, that's great, Uh, that's not my bag. And perhaps you've become discouraged about ministering uh, the gospel truth. But Jesus himself, moments, hours before his death, comes to you and says, everyone who is of the truth will hear it. Now when he says this, he's not talking about audibly hearing him. When he says that they hear my truth, it means that that they obey the truth. That's what's being communicated. Not, not uh, audibly hearing, but actually following Him and obeying Him. John chapter 10, <clears throat> verse 26. My sheep hear my voice. They know my voice. And I know them and they follow me. You see what John 18.37 is saying is that God works in people around us <clears throat> so that there are people in whom He has worked so that when you share the gospel, they hear it. We believe in irresistible grace. We believe in the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. Now just because we sometimes get discouraged about sharing the gospel doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit stops working and regenerating people and preparing them to hear the truth. Somebody say amen. Doesn't that give you hope? It's to say, here's Jesus who says, the people who are of the truth, they hear. They'll obey and they will follow. So, this is the, uh, the third day of 2016. So we have 362 more days. I hope that you'll say, God... Give me grace to share the gospel this year like I've never done before. And Lord, help me to do that with grace and with confidence. Because those who are of the truth, they actually hear it. 
you remember the, um, it's a story that's told by Charles Spurgeon, and Spurgeon was questioned about election and about sharing the gospel with people. What about people who, who are not elect and all those kind of things? And uh, he said, you know, if the elect had a yellow stripe painted down their back, I would go around pulling up shirt tails. Well, we're not going to go around doing that, but Jesus put it another way. He just said, tell everybody. <laughs> Share the gospel with every creature. But I want you to have confidence to say, okay, sometime, somewhere, because of the work of God, the gospel, your gospel witness is going to work. And that's what's necessary for us if we're going to transform our culture is that we share the gospel confidently. So here's Jesus standing before Pilate and he's talking about his birth. He's, he's moments, hours away from his death and he's talking about why he ever even came into this world. And he came into this world in order to make the Father known. He came into this world in order to make a clear, accurate, exclusive revelation. He came into this world in order that there would be relationships between the creature and their Creator. He came into this world in order to take our messed up lives and to straighten them out through the power of the Gospel. <clears throat> There's one other application. And it's to you. It's not to you in terms of you sharing the gospel. It's to you. And maybe you're here today and you say, Richard, I hear what you're saying with regard to, to Jesus, but I'm not there yet. Well, these words are for you as well. And I hope that you'll go home and you'll meditate on these words. You'll take them to heart and you'll consider your own standing before the Lord Jesus and to say, well, where am I? Is, is my determining my life, is my saying this is the meaning of Christmas or this is the meaning of life, is that the determining factor in what truth is in this world? Or will I in fact have to bow the knee to this one who has existed eternally and yet took his time and expended his energy in order to leave the holy and to come live one of my lives to dwell among the unholy in order to save me. I've got to figure that out. My friend, if you're here today and you never settled that question, that's something you can't walk away from and say, you know what, I'm just not going to deal with that. Nor can you say, well, that's your truth, I'm going to do another truth. Because what Jesus is saying is this is the truth. And He lovingly and graciously invites you to embrace not, not a whole bunch of of axioms or factoids, he invites you to embrace him. And I hope you will. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for a wonderful passage of Scripture. Um, we think of this time for our Savior and what was going on there. And... What an amazing thing that He would be teaching and loading into our hearts, into our um, our souls even, this truth. And so, Lord, I pray that, that by the power of Your Word, in the hands of the Holy Spirit, in the hearts of those who are hearing today, 
that you would ignite Grace Church. And that you'd make us passionate about telling somebody about Jesus. That we'd see many people come to faith in Christ and call Grace home. And Father, if any of my friends here today are yet to come to know Jesus, I pray that you would not let them walk away from this truth, but that they would embrace it. And in embracing it, they would embrace Jesus. For I ask it in His name and for His sake. Amen.